Hi, it's Bill Bishop, and welcome to my Big Ideas show, Upside Down and Sideways. I've got a really good lineup for you today. We've got three really interesting things to talk about. And these are all creative ideas to get you thinking differently about your business, about the economy, about the future. And so the idea is to get you really uh, jazzed up about what you're doing and get you thinking differently. So let's get started. Okay, so I just want to talk a little bit first about the whole purpose of this show and ultimately my work that I've been doing for the last 32 years, uh, working with entrepreneurs and business leaders. And my uh, contribution, I'd like to think of it that way, uh, is to help people think about things differently. And that's why I call my company the Big Idea Company. Because we're really here to help you come up with big ideas, which is something new, better, and different that takes everything to a much higher level. That's really what we're trying to do. And what I found is that a lot of people struggle with that. Even if they know that this could be a really great thing for them to do, you know, think of new ways to promote themselves, think of new kinds of products and services they could sell for a lot of money. Uh, even new kinds of businesses, they, they, they would love to come up with those ideas, but they are uh, struggling with it sometimes because they don't really understand the creative process. They don't engage in it enough uh, in their work. Um, and so therefore, you know, this is really where, where I begin with people is really help them understand that creative process. And, and I, uh, I think I like to think of it as we just try to turn everything upside down and sideways. So I, I found this really cool picture here uh, of this, uh, a good example of this. So somebody was thinking of building a house and they thought, well, why does the house always have to be right side up? You know, why don't we create one that's upside down? So this is the upside down house and uh, it's a fully functional house. Uh, it just has this very quirky look to it. And boy, that's going to catch people's attention, right? So the thing is, even just looking at that picture, uh, gets us thinking differently. You know, we're all, uh, human beings, are, we're all kind of interesting, <laughs> okay? Um, we're looking for security, we're looking for comfort, we're looking for achievement or whatever, and we develop, you know, strategies around those things. And those strategies are often very effective and they work, you know? Uh, and then we get, we create systems around those strategies and then we create a whole life and a whole business around them, and we kind of get locked into, uh, you know, a zone of comfort, right? And it's all very good, except at a certain point, it could get very boring, um, or even worse, it could stop stop working for you. And especially if the ground under you starts moving, it's like, okay, well, you know, what was working in the past, maybe not going to work now, but this is what I'm really, really used to, you know. So there's a real tendency, even when everything's changing around you, to kind of double down on, you know, all the things that we've always done. So, uh, so by flipping things around and upside down and sideways, we might start to see that there's actually new strategies, new ideas that could work even better and maybe be more exciting for you as well. So, uh, so this is why even just looking at a house like that 
it's meant to sort of shake you up, right? Nah, house doesn't have to really be like that. And uh, it could be upside down. So I'm, I'm always kind of driving people crazy. Some people like what I do, some people don't. Uh, some people find it very exciting and, and invigorating, and other people find it kind of kind of freaks them out a little bit, right? So I'm hoping you're one of the the uh, the former, not the latter. So so I, I just want to tell you where uh, where I've come from with all of this because uh, I find that it's useful to have inspiration, and you probably have your own people that you could be very inspired by. And I'm going to just talk about three people that inspired me uh, to think differently and be creative. And the first one uh, is Stanley Kubrick, uh, the film director. Now, um, when I was a kid, it was like, I guess, 1967, I guess. I was 10 years old, and I went to see the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. And, you know, I'd seen a few movies when I was a kid. Mostly they were kids' movies, right? Uh, and there I was, 10 years old. I went to this movie. I went with my mother. And we sat in the theater, and I watched this thing. And I said, oh, my God, this is like, this is, this is not a, a regular movie, right? This was, like, profound. It was an unbelievable movie. You know, we're all kind of used to it now, and we've probably all seen it 10 times. But when that first time that I saw it, it just kind of blew my mind. And I... All those years later, I, you know, I followed all of Stanley Kubrick's movies, and I was always incredibly impressed by two things. So one was that he, well, actually three things. So one is that he always tried to make each movie about something different, right? So they, each one was a unique project. It wasn't trying to drag his uh, previous project into the new one. So every one of them was a unique thing. Um, the other thing was that he was always looking for creative ways to do everything, uh, and a lot of the stuff that he did, um, I'm not sure about 2001, but a lot of the other movies, there was a lot of um, sort of improvising as he went along. Like when they made The Shining, they were actually writing the script while they were making the movie. So in the moment while they were filming it. Um, and, then, and then the other thing was just his uh, uh, very, you know, diligence to his craft, right? Very precise uh, director everything was you know thought through every little thing so um, incredibly creative person uh, very successful uh, lots of great movies so that that really inspired me you know to say there's a role model that I appreciated maybe you find the same about him um, the second person was uh, Kurt Vonnegut so as I got to be a teenager I started reading his books and once again, I was going, oh, wait a minute, I've read quite a few books already, <laughs> and I've never read books like this before. These are totally different kinds of books. And of course, the first one I read was Slaughterhouse-Five. You may have read that book. That's kind of his most famous book, uh, but he wrote 20 or 30 other ones, all really amazingly interesting. Um, you know, and some people like Kurt Vonnegut, some people don't, but, you know, the thing was, that you kind of respect his creativity. He wasn't just trying to write a regular book. He was thinking, okay, how can I how can I do something unique, right? And uh, so I really, really appreciated that. Um, and then the third one, um, among many others here, I'm, I'm just giving you three right now, but, um, and then the third one uh, was Laurie Anderson. So you may or may not have heard of her, uh, but she's sort of an avant-garde uh, artist, musician. And one uh, night, um, I went to see her and I actually got front row seats in the 
in this in the uh, hall. Uh, so I was really up close, and I was excited because I had listened to her music. And once again, it was very, very odd music, uh, really creative. I used to kind of force it on my friends, and they were like, uh, you know, this is really weird, Bill. But I said, yeah, but uh, the creativity of it is, is something else. So Laurie Anderson, so I sat in the front row, and she brought out all these instruments that she played. So not only was she actually uh, performing, you know, writing and performing really different music that wasn't like everyone else, but she was also actually creating her own instruments. They actually designed and built her own musical instruments. And and the one, um, and you can just sort of see it here, that's the best picture I could find, she actually created a violin, um, electric violin that was uh, not just a regular violin. That actually what was uh, going on with it was that the violin was actually attached to a computer with all these different sound bites in it. Uh, and as she played the instrument, um, she would access those sound bites on the violin. So you weren't actually hearing the violin sounds, you were hearing the computer sounds that were generated from her actually playing the violin. And as she, as she uh, made the bow go back and forth at different, at different speeds and so on, the, song, the music, the sound bite would speed up and speed down, slow down. And it uh, created a really, really interesting uh, musical experience here. So, so you can see that these are three people that inspired me, and all of them, I believe, you know, took their genre, their field of in, uh, field of endeavor, and they um, they flipped it upside down and sideways, right? And they really created something unique. So, I'm not saying you have to go as far out as what they've done, but it's useful to see these people because. Uh, you know, it helps us and encourages us to be more creative in what we're doing. So, uh, so I just wanted to share that with you because maybe you have some role models. And one of the things I encourage you to do is to um, is to expose yourself to different things like that. To go to uh, creative, you know, um, events and theater and whatever it is, the things that you would never normally go to. Uh, you know, not just your normal stuff. And you might find some of it really kind of sucks, you know. <laughs> I've certainly been to a lot of really weird uh, performances that weren't great, but even then it was inspiring because you could see that people were trying to, you know, do something different, right? So, so I always would applaud that no matter what. So what's what's that going to be for you? All right. Okay. So so um, so the last piece of it, which is also important is that at one point I actually did some work with Apple and I was uh, kind of a person that would get up on a stage or whatever and explain uh, how the Macintosh computer works. Uh, I got that job. And, uh, and I, I was always very inspired by their, their slogan, think different. You know, we all familiar with that? Uh, and I really believed that that's one of the reasons why I had a Macintosh computer because I did think different. Uh, didn't want to be just like everybody else. You know, I was giving a talk the other day, and uh, I just mentioned this to people in the audience. I said, you know, listen, I, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and when I grew up, it was a very uh, conservative, let's put it that way, place. Um, and, uh, you know, bars weren't open on Sundays and so on. Everybody dressed the same, and it was, you know, the 1950s, uh, you know, probably lasted until the 1980s in Toronto, basically. Um, and... Uh, 
but uh, you know, and people in those days thought that just doing the regular thing, conforming, being like everyone else, don't stand out. That's the way to be successful, right? And around the middle of the 1980s, I think that really started to change. And the way to be successful was to actually be different and to stand out as different, not to be like everybody else. Uh, and of course, Apple used that as part of their marketing, right? Um, their famous 1984 ad that they did. So, uh, so I've always taken that really to heart, this think different thing. Uh, and that's why I've created my business and what I you know, try to do with this show and with my coaching with people. So, uh, so that's the uh, idea of the, the show is to help you think upside down and sideways. So just wanted to talk about that first. Okay, so so now what I want to talk about is uh, the uh, I, I, I just read this book. It's called um, Revenge of the Analog, and I've been thinking about this a lot. And uh, my wife bought this book for me because she said, "Well, you should definitely read this because it's what you've been talking about." And uh, you know, I'm a big proponent, always have been, of the digital age and all the new technology and all the different things you can do with it and so on. But I've also seen that there's this kind of countervailing, um, I wouldn't call it a backlash, just just a, uh, you know, a, a realigning of this uh, whole thing about the digital world, right? So uh, as people have used more and more digital stuff, um, they're starting to find that, you know, it's great, but maybe uh, it's not 100% great. And maybe there's actually, now they're pining for things that are analog. And analog, if you just want to think about it, it's just they're not. It's not a digital thing. It's just something that's, you know, sort of regular before the internet and before computers. What was that look like, right? So whatever there was there, all of that would have been analog. And now, you know, all this stuff we know about being digital, right? So there's these two worlds, analog and digital. And he's this writer, uh, David Sachs, wrote this great book, uh, talking about all the things that, you know, are starting to become very successful that are not digital, but are actually analog, and people are embracing them because of, um, you know, they're just kind of overwhelmed and maybe, you know, up to their ears with digital stuff, and they, they're looking for, uh, you know, maybe go back to some of the analog things, right? And so this is an opportunity for your business to start thinking this way, because I've seen that a lot of people um, really got what I call the digital dream, right? They, they, they're, they sold a bill of goods, whatever it is, like about Twitter, or about uh, apps, or about their website, or about some kind of online course they're going to do, or something like that. And they got this digital dream, and you know this is going to make them billions of dollars, like Facebook or Apple or something. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to dissuade anybody from that because I certainly help people create those kind of things. But um, but what I, uh, I do say too is let's just consider the analog too. Maybe there's something that's like not digital that actually might be even better that you could do, or you could do both. Maybe you could just do both, right? So, so just even to consider it, not to just throw out all of the analog things and never think about those again, that maybe actually there's a way to make lots of money uh, doing something else. So that's not digital. So, uh, so that's just, I'm putting the bug in your ear about that. And here's an example. So, um, this is a, a company called Viral Technologies, and I know it uh, fairly well because my uh, soon-to-be son-in-law uh, works at Viral. He's the marketing uh, director there, and uh, and this company has done incredibly well. 
And what do they do? Well, they make uh, the machines, these new kinds of machines, that press vinyl records. And you might think, well, how could that be a good business? Well, the vinyl record industry is just exploding. People are buying more and more vinyl records every year. So it kind of died out around, uh, you know, maybe um, the middle of uh, the 2000s. Kind of that was the low point of vinyl records. And then suddenly there was this resurgence. And it could have something to do with just like with the iPhone and people listening to music on their, their you know, their earphones and so on. Uh, they might have started thinking, well, what else, what else is there? And, and then they started thinking, oh, vinyl records, turntables and vinyl records, especially younger people who had never had anything to do with that before. You know, I still have my, my turntable, right? And I still have my vinyl records and, and I'd never really given them up, right? But these younger people started thinking, I've never had a turntable. I've never listened to vinyl records. Oh, wow, this is cool. Right. So so they've been doing really well. They've been selling these machines all over the world and they have all these uh, ancillary services that they have. But it's all based on the growth of uh, vinyl record sales. And you would think in this world of, you know, Apple Music and um, Prime Music and so on, Amazon Music, that Spotify, why would anybody want vinyl records? But the thing is, because of all that digital stuff, Right? Is like people are saying, oh, I want something else. I want to go back to something that's maybe more human, like uh, like an analog uh, vinyl record. So, so the, the question then is to you is say, well, I've got all this digital stuff I'm trying to do, but maybe there's also something analog I can do. Right? Now, here's the other thing about this, uh, which I thought was really interesting in the book, was that, you know, this, this guy, uh, he wrote um, a song. Uh, and it was had a million downloads on the internet, right? On on streaming services, and he made four thousand dollars from that. All right, four thousand dollars. Okay. Now another another musician uh, would sell like uh, ten thousand vinyl records and make about a hundred grand. So they kind of say now that you know the digital musician makes pennies and the the analog musician makes dollars right so there's actually way more money perhaps in the analog solution than there is in the digital one right now the digital one has virtue of not having a lot of uh, incremental costs associated with it but the analog um, has the virtue of being an experience right that people might be willing to pay a lot for like some of these vinyl records sell for two three four hundred dollars people are paying two or three or four hundred dollars for a vinyl record because maybe it's a limited edition. Maybe they got it directly from the from from the musician. Uh, there's a whole lot of things, you know, special kind of of uh, vinyl record, right? And and one of the one of the musicians that's really big on this right now is um, Jack White. Uh, you might know from the White Stripes. Hopefully, you know them. Uh, and um, he's really an not just a musician, but he's an entrepreneur. And I would say he's an analog entrepreneur. All right. So he's seen the value of um, of the uh, whole vinyl record movement. So he's become saying, look, I'm going to really, you know, put all my music onto vinyl records. You can still download and stream his stuff. Right. But you can also uh, get it on uh, vinyl records. And he's really gotten right behind that so up to the extent that he's actually created this um, uh, facility. Uh, I think he's got a couple of them, but I think this one's in Detroit. 
uh, it's called Third Man. And it's it, it, when you go there and you go to the place, uh, it's an experience. Like it's a, a record store, it's a restaurant, uh, it's a music venue, and it's a recording studio. So if you have a band, you could actually go there, do a live recording in front of an audience, and record it directly to a vinyl record, right? A master vinyl record. And then sell those vinyl records to the people that are there. I think they'd actually be able to press them right at the time. So um, so this he can see what he's doing here is he's creating a whole experience essentially around the analog, the vinyl record. All right. So uh, you might want to check that out, at least online, and see, see what he's up to. But, um, you know, he, what he and what I really like about him um, is that he didn't go, oh, the digital world, it's wrecking the music. I don't make any money now as a musician. You know, they, like, there's a lot of pity parties around musicians complaining about that, and I get it, because um, they used to make their money from selling records, right? Uh, but Jack White said, okay, I'm not going to be a pity party. I'm going to figure out how to actually take advantage of this uh, and not just be complaining about making 200 bucks from a month from selling online music, right? Uh, they're going to think of some other analog ways to be a musician and build that out. And that, that's part of what I'm talking about in my book, The New Factory Thinker, is strategies for actually doing that. So so the analog thing. Now, I'll just give you one other one because I, I have a personal history with this. Um, this woman here, uh, her name is uh, Maria... I mean, I'm just going to get right. Uh, so, so, Maria Sebregondi. It's Maria Sebregondi. My Italian is, uh, it's not its not as good as my uh, Hebrew or my uh, Swahili, but uh, it says um, Maria Sebregondi. And uh, she's uh, she invented the moleskin um, notebook. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've uh, bought a lot of moleskin notebooks. Uh, and here's, here's, a, here's a picture of it. Maybe you've seen them. And they're all over the world. I was in um, Rome, uh, I think, and, and it was a moleskin store there. So they have actually stores to sell these notebooks. Now you think, in the age of a digital, you know, iPad, everything's digital, why wouldn't people want to buy a notebook? Uh, and it was interesting in uh, the story that David Sachs wrote about this that he said it's not really about the notebook so much, although it's partly that because people are starting to realize, well, actually writing on paper with ink is good and it's not, you know, it doesn't have to do everything on an iPad. Is that also people say, well, I saw it as a bit of a status thing. They were showing, oh, if I'm writing in a moleskin while I'm sitting in Starbucks, uh, then people see me as a creative person, right? Like it was like a, a badge of creativity that you were showing. So this is actually part, now you might think that's nonsense, but uh, a lot of people like that kind of thing. And um, I just like it because it's it's a way for me to work on my stuff uh, while I, um, uh, I am, um, you know, out and about, and I don't have to always be in front of a computer. As a matter of fact, what I'm doing now is writing my books. I used to do it all on the computer. Well, before that, I used to do it on typewriter. And before that, I used to do it on paper and then type it up. So I've gone back to that now. So I actually write my stories uh, by hand, and then I type it up. And what I'm finding is that the way I write by hand is totally different what the out, out final product is than if I had, uh, you know, write it written on a computer, right? So I, I think it's a, there's just some sort of a more of a feeling that I have, different feeling I have when I'm writing it out by hand, and then I type it up and. 
and make it into a book. But um, but you might think about doing that. Why? You don't have to do everything on the computer. You don't have to do everything on your iPhone, right? What are the analog things? So so they, the business case for this is analog might be an opportunity for you. What could that be? And I just say that just have two things. Have your digital stuff that you're working on and have your analog stuff that you're working on. Have those two things um, and try to take advantage of both of those things. Okay? So so that's the, uh, the idea of... Um, Analog versus digital. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about, uh, and I, I call this the uh, the um, the watering hole strategy, and uh, it's about going out and getting prospects. How can you get more prospects? So I. Um, you know, I, I help people figure that out, right? This is what I do in my work. Like, how can I get more prospects? And, and I'm always trying to think, well, how can we leverage that and not waste our time and get the biggest bang for the buck when we're out marketing, right? And uh, th this might seem really obvious, but um, it's not because I see most people doing the opposite. And essentially, we still have this kind of idea about door-to-door -door selling. All right. Now, we may not be actually doing door to door, but we have the same kind of idea in mind that we got to approach individual or one company or one person at a time, and uh, and that we got to we got to you know target them, right? So this this idea of target marketing, everybody's talking about that target marketing, individual target you to the individual, right? And and I'm not dismissing that. As a, as a strategy because it could still work, right? I'm not saying it wouldn't, um, but we once again, we're kind of going down a certain path and we're forgetting about another path that actually might be better. And that path is to go down to the watering hole and find the herd of prospects. The herd of prospects all in one place. So I use this analogy of hunting, right? So um, back in the day when we were all cave people, um, we get up in the morning and we wouldn't go to work to make money. We'd go to out into the, you know, the out into nature, let's call it that, and hunt for animals, right? To bring the food home. And, you know, if you brought the food home, you'd, you'd have a nice meal. If you didn't bring the food home, you'd starve. So, you know, you had to, you had to figure out how to do this. So, um, so you had a choice as the K person. Uh, you could go and hunt the single animal across the desert or the savannah or whatever with your spear and try to catch that lone animal, right? And you might win that race, you might not, or you might end up getting eaten yourself, who knows, right? Okay, so not so good. Now, better way is to go down to the watering hole and find out where all those animals are, all in one place, um, and to, you know, go down there and then you've got the pick of them, right? So it may obviously makes more sense because they're all there. They've come to the watering hole. And uh, this is what I'm suggesting that you do is you start saying, well, where's the watering hole for my business? So I have a certain kind of customer. Where do they all congregate? Uh, which may be that they congregate at events and conferences and uh, associations uh, in certain places, certain venues of things like, you know, so as soon as you find them 
in a group, that's what you want to do. So, so what I'm really recommending is that you look for groups. You say, I'm going to start my marketing not just by going directly to the customer. I'm going to find a group that those customers are in, 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 a, in, a, in a congregation, right? So that's so much better if you think about it, right? Obviously. So get yourself going and talking to people in a group. Now, this has a lot of value. One, of course, is that when you go to a group, there's like 50 or 100 or 1,000 of them all in one place. So that's very good, right? Um, the other thing is, you know, by virtue of you being there, they kind of see you as part of the group too. So that gives you some credibility in their, um, in their mind, you know, that there. And, and if you can provide value in some way, then, um, you know, then you're, uh, then they see you as, a, you know, a, a contributor to their, to their group, right? Um, and then that can help you get a lot of business. So once I say, say, you know, some people do this, you know, naturally, but I do see that a lot of people have let that go because they think, oh, I'm just going to go and email people directly or I'm going to knock on their door even. You can still be doing, or obviously phone them or send them a flyer or something like that. But um, more and more people are kind of rejecting people that are hitting them up individually. They're kind of doing that. They don't know if they trust the person. They don't know. But when they see you in a group setting with the other members of their group, they are going to trust you more and be willing to hear what you have to say. So, uh, so let's get back to that. Let's get back to this idea of groups, right? And you may only need one or two. Um, I'm personally involved with about four or five kind of regularly, um, and that's good. And the other thing is, watch out though when you get into the group that you don't get yourself stuck in the group, right? So I'm not suggesting you necessarily get on their board or start being on committees or so on, because then it kind of you're kind of stuck in there. And that might not be the best way. You might want to be somebody that's a little more um, just kind of migratory and kind of going ultimately from group to group and not so embedded in any particular group. Um, the other thing is if you do get too embedded in the group, um, then it's almost like a conflict of interest that you're soliciting business from that group too. So it's better to be a little bit on the outside so that it makes perfect sense that you might be you know, looking for business there. So, so Go down to the watering hole. The other thing about the watering hole is you got to go to one where the the animals, <laughs> the prospects, uh, are well fed, right? So you know they're not you know they're not starving themselves because if they're starving, that's not so good. So like recently, I went to a group and they're in an industry that's kind of starving, um, so they don't have any money and. So I realized that and I go, well, that's fine. They're all nice people and everything. I'd love to help them, but they, they're, they're not, uh, you know, there's no meat on the bone there. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe not. So it's just that analogy is kind of helpful there uh, to see, oh, well, okay, we want them when they're kind of plump and happy maybe. Um, and that, that would be a better kind of animal to pursue down at the watering hole. So. Uh, you know, and if you're a vegetarian or anything, I'm not saying that you're gonna eat them or anything. I'm just—it's just an analogy. Don't worry, um, or you know, like hunting and all that kind of thing. Not talking about that. It's just an analogy. All right. And that's some people really—they uh, take my analogies a little too literally, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then I get in trouble or they're missing the bigger point I'm trying to make. Right. Okay. So uh, so that's about looking going after groups to to get more clients.
Alrighty, so now we're on to the uh, third uh, big idea for today, and this is about publishing a business book. And I've published 11 business books over the last uh, 20 years, and uh, so I have a lot of experience with this, and we've also helped about 50 clients uh, put together a book. And uh, it's not the main part of our business, but if somebody has a big idea uh, and they want to get the word out, we might help them at that point do a book, right? So, uh, so one of the uh, people we worked with, his name's uh, Harold Merton, uh, and he wanted to write a book, and it's called the uh, the uh, Complete Estate Directory. And he's a financial advisor, um, and uh, this is a really cool little book, and you might want to buy it because it could really help you probably as a individually um, and basically it's a directory that you write in all of your information about your estate right so all of your you know where all your life insurance policies are where your um, uh, what do they call them uh, security boxes like at a um, at a bank where that is um, uh, where your um, you know all your passwords for all your bank accounts, uh, you know, all your, where all your bank accounts are, and, and on and on, right? So all that stuff that if something happened to you, your kids or your spouse or your executor is going to want to know, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a book that you fill in all that information, and then that makes you feel confident that if something happens to you, there won't, there won't be a lot of trouble there, right? So it's a really cool book for him. And uh, the neat thing about it was that it was so doable, so, so doable. So uh, over the years, I've been through the whole run-of-the-mill thing with uh, publishing. I've had publishers publish my books. Um, I've had people print my books, you know, and I own the book. I don't have a publisher. Uh, but what we've landed on uh, is something I think you really need to know about, uh, and it's called Kindle Direct Publishing, so Amazon. And what they have is a system that's just unbelievable, all right? So all about the last five books we've done have all been published with Kindle Direct Publishing. And I'm not trying to promote Amazon or anything, but they completely got this figured out and there isn't any other way to do it, frankly, okay? And it makes it possible for anyone to do a book like Lickety Split, basically, you know? Once you got the writing done, um, is uh, what you do is you upload the manuscript from their template, you know, a Word template, you know, and then you, you upload a cover or they can make a cover for you. Uh, and for example, you know, the book uh, New Factory Thinker I did, um, I had it all done. I got it all done on a Friday. I uploaded everything. They said, okay, that looks good. And on the following Tuesday, I had five copies of the book in my hand, printed everything to look at, right? And I proofed that uh, and I got back to them the next day and then I sent it up uh, to them and... Within a week, I had 200 copies of the book in my hand. And those books cost me about $5 each, including the shipping. Um, and I could sell them for $20. So I was making $15 profit per book. Um, and then the other thing is that uh, when they sell a book, like because it's all on Amazon and Kindle, right? Uh, I get about 12 bucks a book. And the other thing is it doesn't cost a cent to set it up. They don't charge you anything for the setup. Um, and you can also change the book anytime. So if you want, if you say, oh, there's a mistake in it, or you want to make a new edition or something, you can just do that like really fast. Um, and it's really like 
or somebody that's been through the whole run of the, the rigmarole of all the publishing thing. Uh, this is like heaven. This is like, I can't believe that somebody invented this thing. So I, I can't say enough about it. It's a, sort of a flawless system. Um, the only limitation is they only do paperback, at least at this point. Um, but that's the only thing. And there actually is another company that I can recommend. You can ask me if you want about hardcover. It's kind of similar. Um, not quite as good, but it's it's pretty good. That um, does that, but so you can do paperback. But um, the other thing is that you can order like one or a hundred or ten thousand. It doesn't matter. Even if you just order one, they'll print one for you. So it's all this machine that just prints out books one at a time or hundred at a time uh, on demand. So it's really amazing. Once again, Amazon's created something amazing. <laughs> Um, the publishers don't like it because they're kind of they're competing against them, but they really don't have a leg to stand on because Amazon's also selling their books, right? So they're not going to really complain to Amazon. So anyway, so that's the um, the opportunity. I, I uh, one of the books that I did was really cool was uh, going to the net. It's about the psychology of tennis and life and business. Um, I part of my life has been as a tennis player, so I wrote that book going to the net and I was able to publish it on Kindle Direct you know if I'd had to go to a publisher or something it probably never would have come out right it might have been hard to find a publisher to publish a book like that about you know it's sort of about tennis so um, so I just saw that as just such a, a wonderful opportunity to publish a book like that using Amazon so so what is your book well, maybe you've got some kind of book in you um, if you want to know more about this, you just get a hold of me and I can tell you more about it and how it's all possible. Um, because the other thing about having a book, it's the best calling card, right? That's what they say. And it really truly is. So, um, you know, now's the time for you to put that book together and Kindle Direct can do it. Okay, so just wrapping up here. So we're talking about upside down and sideways thinking and stirring things up a bit, right? So um, so this is uh, what I'm encouraging you to do between now and the next show is to start thinking upside down and sideways. Just think about things differently. Twist things around, move things around, um, change things up. You know, if, if you go to work one way, go to work another way. Uh, if you're dressing one way, dress another way. Wear a shirt with like butterflies on it or something, something crazy like that. Um, you know, and one of the things that I've found is really good is just to make a commitment to say, I'm going to go do something I've never done. So the one the example I always give is, you know, if you've never gone bowling, then go bowling. Because you say, well, I don't know how to bowl. It doesn't matter. You don't have to know. You just throw the ball down the thing and see what happens. Um, but... Just by going into that environment, you might get all kinds of ideas for your business, right? So every time I've found that when I go and do something different, it somehow gets my brain thinking in an upside down way. And then I go, oh, wow, okay, this is like that. And then this is like this. And I suddenly get all kinds of ideas. But if I keep doing the same thing, I'm not getting any ideas. So usually what I do is try to do is like once a week, I say, well, what's something I haven't done um, and try that? So... Recently, I went to a Russian sauna, sauna spa, and it's like in the middle of nowhere, um, 
and in this back alley somewhere. And it was the most amazing thing. It was like this, it was like walking into Russia, you know, for a couple hours. It was run by Russians. And there were all these uh, saunas in there and it was like really hot and it was like this crazy thing. And then you drink, uh, you know, vodka afterwards and have some borscht and, you know, and just sing Russian songs and stuff. And it was just hilarious, right? So it was a really good, cool thing to do. And uh, I, don't know, I just got thinking about new things from that, right? So, so that, that, was the, uh, that was my thing. So what's the next thing? What are we going to do next? Okay. So, all right. So that's the, uh, the show for today. And uh, I appreciate you um, uh, taking the time because I know your time is precious, but um, I appreciate that. And if you um, can do me a favor is share this video with somebody, right? Share it to them. And maybe you can help them get thinking upside down and sideways. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, of course, that's a great thing to do. Please do that. Um, want to get more subscribers, of course. And, uh, you know, if you have any comments about what I've been talking about or any ideas, uh, send me an email. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing you at the next show. Thanks.